Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Today's guest is Carl Kapinski, one of the most remarkable artists in the world right now, with a body of work that includes incredible comic book and video game illustrations, as well as some of the most captivating portraits of pro cyclists you'll ever see. But how does he capture the essence of heroes like Jacques Anquetil, Fausto Coppi and Dan Lloyd? Does he know his snacks? And how will he respond to the random question generator? For the answer to these and some other questions, just sit back, relax and enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevens unplugged by Carl Kapinski has been a friend of mine now for a number of years. My first impressions of him were heavily influenced by my awe at his artistic talent. But then I saw him on a bike and I thought, is there nothing this man can't do? Now that I'm double awed, I thought I have to get him on the podcast. For our interview, Carl's son had kindly loaned him a laptop, but now and again the fan sounded like it belonged under the wing of a jumbo jet. Now we've managed to tidy up most of the interference, but if it sounds like you've accidentally stumbled into Cape Canaveral at a very inappropriate time, it's probably just Carl's computer. Check it out. Carl, thanks very much for, for, for joining us uh, on the podcast, mate. Good to hear, hear your voice. Nice to speak to you, Matt. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bit nervous, to be honest. I'll try and put you at your ease. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of weird, isn't it, when you're doing a podcast? But it's with, with somebody that's your mate as well at the same time. It's a bit weird. Um, yeah. uh, now, if anybody can hear a little bit of a fan going, a little bit of a kind of like almost like an engine running in the background. Apparently, it's uh, Carl's son's laptop, which is almost steam powered, which is uh, ma- making sure it doesn't explode into flames. I think that's the noise, isn't it? Yeah, I do. I do apologise. It's all. <laughs> Pretty basic here. Oh, mate, it's even more basic in my loft at the moment. Um, <laughs> you, you, sh- you should have a look. It's just but, I'm not ex- I'm not a tech wizard, and a, no. a, but I've got a real fondness for velcroing things to things at the moment, mate. So awesome. it's like yeah. But right before we before we crack on, uh, Carl, it is wonderful to have you on. Uh, I know you're a massively keen cyclist. You're a wonderful artist and a, and a, and a wonderful chap. But <laughs> first. First and foremost, what we like to do at the start of a pod is get the guest to just explain and describe firstly where you are in the world and then what room you are in the building that you're in and what can you see? Okay. Well, I was familiar with this because I listened to your Hugh Carthy one and he was in a leather chair, wasn't he, I think? He he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a black leather chair here that I was going to sit in but I'm actually at my studio desk in Nottingham, um, looking out the window at some nice trees with birds flying around. But I'm actually working while I'm talking to you as well on a project for um, Ubisoft. Right. So, so, so I'm multitasking. That's amazing. Oh, we yeah, should have no. like, we we should have videoed this at the same time. Maybe you can, maybe you maybe at the end. What we like to do with guests as well at the end is ask them to shoot a, a little landscape video. Uh, maybe you yeah. can do that for us and just without giving too much away about the secret kind of uh, gig that you do in the moment for Ubisoft. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, mate. Well, yeah, I think I'll... this this is the second time that we've had somebody multitasking because last week we had Cassia Nuiadoma using a foam roller at the same time. Wow. That's <laughs> impressive. Talking and rolling. I know, but you're talking and painting. Can you actually, actually I'm so, int- I'm so, Carl, I'm so intrigued. Without giving the game away, what bit are you painting right now? <laughs> uh, I'm actually doing without, I, I'm obviously, I'm under strict NDAs and they'll come and chop my hands off if I give anything away. Yeah, I'm yeah, actually yeah. doing some hair Digitally, I'm painting digitally on the Wacom tablet on another computer, which is also steam powered, and right. um, I'm doing the hair at the moment. Yeah, so, quite lovingly as well. Oh, look, I, I've noticed your your real attention to detail. But as <laughs> listeners, we don't know whether it's the hair of a human or a beast, do no. we? No, you may you're never not gonna, know, and we may never know. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. That's a really, that's a really nice description. So, Carl, uh, I've been to your place before. Are you at your little studio at the end of the garden? 
Uh, no, I moved out of there because we oh. had like a, I got like a sort of dormer extension built on the attic room that we have. So it's it's much more plush and I've managed to trash it within, I don't know, three months it was destroyed, paint everywhere, bike parts everywhere, guitars on the floor. <laughs> it's just, I think there's a pair of my son's pyjamas on the floor. It's just a, you know... I like to think of myself when I see pictures of Lucian Freud in his studio. That's how I imagine I am. But in actual fact, it's far less artistic than that. It's, you know, (laughs) just chain rings. There's a stem down there and some mountain bike pedals. It's just a mess. Brilliant. I mean, I I think I know the room that you... Did I go up to that room and it extended? Yeah, I think I know the room you mean. I think what I was struck by was the fact that there was lo- well, lots and lots of stuff that yeah. were, that you is that that's a fair description. It's just stuff everywhere. But I like yeah. that. I mean, I, I was going to ask you that. I mean, we kind of you're an artist. You're also a cyclist, and and I was I was going to ask you, do you keep a tidy a tidy kind of studio? But clearly, you just you you don't do you. You just let it kind of just hang out. Yeah, I can't do that. And also, I've got so many projects on the go, like. If I turn around now, I've got the easel there. So I've got a painting of Alex Dowsett and Dan Martin that I'm doing for Factor Bikes UK. Yeah. And then behind that, I've got a picture of Pablo Escobar from the Netflix series. And then on the floor, I've got some Magic the Gathering cards I'm doing and books that I'm signing next to me. So I've got so many projects on the go. It's, it's really hard to have a a sort of tidy focused area i just i'm not very productive like that either i like to have a lot of stuff happening and if i'm struggling or sort of uh you know getting a bit bogged down with the project i can move on to something quite different and it sort of keeps me motivated a bit that's 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 amazing i mean i, I as as you as you probably know i mean i've growing up i was a big fan of comic books massively then obviously yeah. we we met before i got into kind of art as such oh it looks like sounds like the computer is about to take off again yes. uh, and then it kind of just fades away it's quite it's quite entertaining actually i'm sorry <laughs> um, Matt. No, it, no honestly mate it's absolutely fine um and then and then i've uh, over through lockdown i've got into art and now yeah. you know and reading a lot about different sorts of artists and uh, i know lucy and freud did keep a very very messy uh, um studio but francis bacon i think kept the most messily scary studio didn't he yeah yeah and it also i mean it it sort of uh, reflects their their sort of uh lives a little bit i think didn't it you know he was quite a uh uh quite an intimidating character by all accounts and i think when you see lucian freud's studio as well it was you know a bit like his life just stuff going on everywhere women going on everywhere you know he just he just had that kind of attitude towards stuff I don't know what mine says about me apart from (laughs) you know want to be cyclist used to want to be a guitarist sort of gave up on that ended up being an artist amazing so oh oh, sorry uh, actually I've got uh, I've got an alert coming through um it's it sounds like it could be a random question generator. Random question alert. Random question alert. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Wow, uh, Carl, it's, it's a brand new feature um, in the podcast. Um, it's something I have no control over, but it does answer the question why this enormous television with a big red light on has now appeared in my loft uh, with a question on the screen. Now, basically, the random uh, question generator is completely random. It pops up in the show. Um, this is the first time it's happened, so sorry to catch you unawares, Carl. But I've got, a, ra- right. I've got a question to ask you. Go. What will cycling look like in 10 years? Oh. <laughs> I've never... What a good question. It is, isn't it? Oh, it's tricky. Well, they can't go on the top tubes anymore, can they? <laughs> that's that's for they sure. Can't, they can't do the puppy paws over the bars. Hmm. They're going to have come up with something crazy to compensate for that, aren't they? Maybe... Do you, do you think they'll go back to the Pantani bum over the back? 
tyre thing. I think I think they're going to have to because I know uh, a lot of pros have kicked off, haven't they, about these yeah. uh, about the rules, especially well, both, especially the the aero tuck and the poppy paws. But maybe maybe they will do that, or maybe we'll have a succession of bands, um, and maybe everybody in ten years is just riding on Swift. <laughs> <laughs> because you're allowed to do it on there you yeah, are indeed maybe or maybe you're- they've added an insert into the chamois to stop for rear wheel chafing yeah so they can drop the backside even lower and get more aero that way what do you I think, think to that i think that's a i think it's a great idea so you've got so basically you can almost rub your bum on or yeah. you, can, you could actually break on a descent using your ass Perfect. Tony Martin could have done with those, couldn't he? When yeah, he, he did think... that time trial with sandpaper on his saddle. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that that did cause him quite a lot of grief in the undercarriage area. There are photographs. Yeah, yeah. yeah there are <laughs> photographs. Um, and and what do you think? Do you think? I'm trying to think what else in terms of bike design. So leaning over the, the back with basically an insert on your bum, so you could brake with your backside. Uh, yeah. Do you think? We'll still be using regular wheels, or do you think bikes will be hovering? Yeah, I think they will. Yeah, or like those cool wheels you get on the Zwift bike, oh, where yeah. there's no spokes, something like that. Yeah, or maybe there'll just be one wheel, and then we sat in the middle of it. Oh, I've got some drawings now. I think I could come up with for this. If you could come up with a couple of just a couple of sketches, don't want to take too much of your time. We know you're a busy yeah. man. Um, yeah. If you, you could come up with a couple of sketches to augment um, yeah. your, your, your predictions, that would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it as soon as we get off. I'll come up with some. Yeah, ten years time. Well, thanks very much, like whoever it. whoever sent that in. Um, thank you very much indeed. That was the random question generator. <laughs> Well, what a lovely little feature to insert into the show. Um, I just- love it, and I'm honoured that I was the first to receive the random question from the generator. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I'm, yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm, and I'm pleased that you embraced it so well, Carl. So, so thanks very much indeed. So, thank you. Look, before we were rudely interrupted by uh, us deciding to interrupt the pod for technical issues, we were talking about the first time that you swung your leg over a bike and your kind of impression and the kind of feeling it gave you as a kid. Can you remember that far back, Carl? I can, but it was not quite the sort of, um, uh, it's it's not such a fond memory really because it was probably at the time of sort of BMXs and grifters because I'm 50 this year. Mm. So, and I was more, I was incredibly uncoordinated and hopeless at every sport I tried my hand at. And then I had a younger brother, Steph, who was good at every sport he tried his hand at and could do bunny hops and wheelies and stuff like that. So he got like a super tough burner or something. And I got this bike that my dad had made for me. um, From He used to go and get parts from the police auctions so they were right. bikes that had been nicked and never claimed. Right. And it, it was a cool bike, really. I think it was an old rally frame, and he sprayed it black with a red fade at the lugs. Mm. And then on the chain guard, he sprayed Ghost Rider, because um, I really like the Ghost Rider character from uh, the Marvel comics. It is Marvel, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And that was my first bike. So, but the, what I was going to say is it was a fantastic bike, but I was rubbish on it, like really rubbish. I could, you know, no coordination, just sort of a, a lanky, tall, gangly, geeky lad who was, had no friends and good at drawing. So, I, don't know, I shouldn't really laugh, but I've, I've, no. again, I'm already building a picture in my mind of your <laughs> stride. Well, let's be honest with you. That that's that's. I mean, fair play, fair play to your dad. I mean, that yeah. sounds like a super cool bike. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was a really cool bike. Um, but really, everyone else had grifters and super tough burners, so that's what you wanted because yeah. everyone else had it with Skyway mags and. Yeah, you know, I mean. I mean, we're we're a similar age. I'm I'm well. I'm just fifty one. So we would have experienced sort of the types, the same types of bikes as kids, and the way we kind of looked up to it. And, and when I was a kid growing up in the late seventies, early eighties, or primarily the late seventies, if you had a grift, I never had a grifter. But the kids who rode around on grifters 
were basically the, the tough kids, basically. Yeah, they were the kids yeah. that you, I was a bit <laughs> wary of. And they were generally, because yeah. I was such a tiny kid growing up, I, I kind of got taller, not so I was like 16, 17. So I was a little yeah. kid. But I used to look at grifters and think, wow, that is, yeah. that's the pinnacle of kids' bikes, isn't it? Yeah, and they weighed about 30 kilos, didn't they? So you, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you had to be a, a right unit to ride one anyway. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I remember yeah. we, I, I, and I remember trying to, one lad actually did let, he didn't lend me it, but he said, you can ride it if you want, mate. And I couldn't, well, it, I held it and it nearly crushed me because it was, yeah. so I could hardly move it. And I tried to swing my leg over and in the end, I just had to give it in back because I couldn't get on it. It was just too big. <laughs> Just yeah, so that, it's cool, mate. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really nice. Oh, oh, dear. oh brilliant <laughs> stuff. But uh, yeah, because grifters were yeah, because they had like three gears, didn't they? Grifters. That's right. On the shifted, on the handlebar shifted, didn't they? Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, they were uh, mega bikes. But uh, so, um, I mean, how cool of your dad to do that, though? I mean, because yeah, yeah. I mean, what inspired that then? I mean, uh, did he like? Did he put different wheels on it and, and stuff like that? Just built the whole thing from from scratch. Not really. I mean, he, he, we were we didn't have much money growing up, really, to be honest. So it, I think it was just you know when you needed a bike, that's where he went. So really, my brother having a BMX was just luck. They just right. happened to have a BMX at the police auctions when he went there. Wow. Um, but he was. He's quite creative. He's a musician, my dad, but he was yeah. also a good artist. So he always turned his hand to, you know, what he was doing. And we quite often get presents made for us at Christmas and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's just that, that kind of a guy really sort of, you know, made the extra effort to sort of make it look nice for me. It was a nice bike. I wish I still had it, to be honest. I don't know, you know. Yeah, it it sounds like um, it is one of those things. I mean, I I I kind of love you know we all love nostalgia, and I think that's why I got into comic collecting because I remember cl- collecting them and just reading them and throwing them away as a kid. So I kind of yeah, as an older kid and a, and a young adult, I wanted to buy them back. But I also love looking back at old photos of of old bikes. You know, um, do, do you have any photos of that bike, mate? Uh, I don't think I do. Again, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because now you document every aspect of your life on your phone. Yeah. But back then, you do, you got like three photos of you a year, you know, and then suddenly <laughs> the next year you look 10 years older and you had, you know, flares on. And, and it, it was just weird. I mean, it's, yeah. No, I don't think I've got any. No. That's a shame, isn't it? That's a shame. Uh, it really is. So, so yeah, um, bikes as a kid and bikes growing up were, were kind of wonderful stuff. And, you know, you talk about the lack of photographs because back then your mum and dad would have a camera. You might, if you were lucky, get like a an Instamatic camera for Christmas with maybe yeah. 12 exposures or even 24 or yeah. 36 if you were super rich. Yeah. But then you go to you go to Boots when you to get it developed and 10 of them you yeah. get back, would just have like thumbs over them or the light would yeah. be overexposed. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So actually, actually getting a, even a half decent photo, because you'd expect it, you'd be, you'd get the little envelope, wouldn't you, with the photos, and sh- yeah. sh- shuffle through, and then, but you'd expect half of them to be rubbish, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Or you'd have like, I, I remember a few times you'd take a photo, oh, that's going to be amazing. And there was this sort of trepidation as you wait for it to come back from the developers. And inevitably, like you say, it was like your thumb was over it, or it was out of focus. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, ne- never got the, captured the moment. So they're all sort of up in your head, I think. That's yeah. maybe, you know, for me being quite a visual person, there's a lot of stuff that I remember really, really clearly as a, almost like an image in my mind. I that's, don't know if people do that so much now because you don't need to, do you? you just snap it on your phone and walk away. It's really, that's a really, really interesting point because I've got, um, I think back to my youth and, there's a lot of moments um, that I, I, I recall that I can recall now, and I've, I've got running a, through them, a few of them through in my head at the moment that are exceptionally vivid, you yeah. know, and, and, and detailed. But but maybe not so much about the recent past because it's almost as if you're lo- using the hard drive on your phone or the memory yeah. on your phone as a as your kind of as a modern storage facility. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, sure yeah. We, we don't lose everything, but it's definitely um, the way we use our minds has, has definitely changed dramatically, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think 
one of the things that really appealed to me about the cycling was the more I did it and the more I sort of explored even local areas, but I've rode around Italy and places like that a lot, was that it, I, I was sort of reforming, uh, I was forming new sort of visual uh, cues and experiences. And because you're on the bike, you don't want to stop every time and snap it. So you had to sort of visually imprint this stuff as you went around. And then obviously when you come home and, and think back to it, all the other stuff that goes along with it, the sort of emotions and feelings and like the smell and the, the, the sun on your back and things like that, they, they're really evocative. So I, I really like that about the cycling as well. It was sort of a way to like explore and see things, but you do it at a pace, especially if you're not particularly fast like me, but you do it at a pace where you're able to take it in still visually and, and, and remember it quite clearly. So... Uh, it's one of the things I really love about it, actually. I, that's a really, a really good, a good way of putting it. And similarly, although I kind of, I, I kind of because when I was racing, I mean, the, the, I've got good memories of, of of some of the place I went when racing, but a lot of it is completely lost because generally, most of the time, I was just suffering and looking at the wheel in front. But yeah, when yeah. I, but I've got more memory of some of my bike rides as a kid. You know, um, when my first bike was was a, a girl's. It was a it was a girl shopping bike, a red girl shopping bike with a basket <laughs> on the front, and, and a little one of those fake leather. Uh, it was like a picnic thing on the back, and it was like a it was like a fake leather box with a little strap on it, like for a pair of sandals. And I used to put a packed lunch in there and go out for a ride with my mate, and we used to go like maybe like 15, 15 20 miles, uh, just on one, with one one gear. And I remember sitting yeah. and having a picnic and eating out the back of it in a field uh, with some cows. <laughs> Uh, near 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 Aldenham in in Hertfordshire, but bloody hell, it's amazing, isn't it? I, I love yeah. it. It's uh, oh, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, so at what point then? So you you started riding early, early and then obviously over recent years, you've kind of, I mean, you you've raced. I mean, and you you're, you say you're not you're not fast, mate. I've been out on a I've been out on a training ride with you, and I know we're mates, but you did half wheel me a bit. <laughs> I don't, I think I don't remember that. I remember sitting on your wheel and, and looking at my power meter and thinking, oh my God, what have I let myself in for? <laughs> so, no, I mean, I got really into all the training. To, to be honest, I played basketball for a long time, okay. not very well, but I, I had quite a bad knee injury and that's one of the reasons I, I got back into it because it was a way to stay fit and you know, I was sitting at the desk or, or at the easel all day. So I got a mountain bike and started looking around on that. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. And it's become sort of like a real, obs- well, you, I'm sure most people who listen to this are the same. It's, I don't know what it is about it as a sport, but it's, it seems to tick all the boxes of little gadgets to tinker with, cool clothes to buy numbers to look at you know training to do places to visit friends to go out with it's just i don't know it's just such a an inclusive sport as well you know i've rode with a lot of guys from around here where i live who who used to race as pros maybe 20 30 years ago people there's a guy called david miller um, not the dave miller another dave miller phil wilkinson who who were pretty good you know Mm. Uh, back in the day and they were so generous with their knowledge and and you know experience when you're out riding with them that you suddenly realize you've got so much to learn and there's so much it seems such a simple sport but there's so much subtlety to it and and so much that you can improve on i think i really like that idea that you you've always got something new to learn you know and something to improve on so uh, it, I don't know. It just I just got the bug really badly, really, mm. really badly, to the point where my wife was like, "What's happened to you? Why are you shaving your legs?" <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting that you describe cycling like that. I mean, it, it is um, it, it, it the word I think passion in terms of cycling is overused these days, but it really is. It it does become a passion, and it gets in your does get in into your bloodstream, into your DNA, and, and once you you've enjoyed. The, the various experiences that, that cycling can give you, 
including all of the bad, including crashing, including suffering generally when you're training, um, it, it's, it, it sticks with you. And, and the way you described it, I guess, um, the fact you're constantly kind of learning, regardless of how experienced you are as a rider, you're constantly finding something new, either about yourself, about places yeah. that you ride, about the equipment you're riding on, about yeah. the people that about the people that you meet. That is very similar to. I, would, I mean, I'm not an artist, but I, I do love art. But there's a similarity there between art, isn't there? Because you're constantly evolving and learning. Yeah, exactly. I've always thought there's a real parallel with it, you know. And also, there's no real hiding. You know, if you if you know a little bit about art or drawing or, or then it's hard. You can spot straight away when someone's bluffing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's very yeah. much like that. It'd be like that on the club rooms and stuff. You'd see a guy rock up on all the best gear, you know, head to foot in really nice kit, fantastic bike. But, you know, on the first climb, it, it soon becomes obvious who's been putting the work in and who's not. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So there's an, yeah. there's an honesty to it as well. It's like if you're not working hard and not prepared to learn and not you don't have that uh, sort of mental attitude to Because I think the other thing that I noticed, especially meeting people like yourself, and I've met quite a few pros in that, they're all really humble people. And I think it's that sort of sport. It keeps you humble because basically even if you're a pro racing 200 days a year 180 of them even if you're good you're going to get your ass kicked yeah so you, you know you can't you, you can't get a, a, an inflated ego even i think even the greats you know there's not many that you could say had a, a huge ego and you know all the guys i've met have been so humble and, and, and honest people you know just love the sport and I really like that about it. It's, it's not, you know, it's not just about how you look and how cool you are, how many tattoos you've got, and, which you see in other sports, you know. Yeah, I think, and and what you you've been able to do, especially in in recent years, and it's actually how we I came to know you, and I, th- I think the reason that I kind of found out about you was, uh, um, I think it was an auction, um, no, not an auction, it was um. I think it was Russ and Dean Downing's charity dinner and they and there was a painting that you donated generously so they could auction it off to raise money for their charity and I thought oh that That's... was the one in Girona yeah. wasn't it that was yeah. for um the Quebec well, a... thing sorry, wasn't different... it yeah yeah sorry you've donated to various charities but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was it was, it, it was the Quebec it was the, the Quebec one and I thought yeah. oh, what an amazing bit of art and I looked you up found you on Instagram and then I think somehow we became fr- friends via Instagram and just yeah. talked a little bit. And then yeah. obviously we met up and it's kind of gone from there. But um, the f- what I'm trying to say is, is the fact that you're an artist, you're, you're a professional artist, you, you love your cycling, but you've been able to, they're not only s- similar in terms of their, you know, in many ways, their aesthetic and the way you kind of think and apply yourself, but also the fact you've been able to paint in your wonderfully expressive way some of the cyclists that that you admire as well modern day and in the past as well and you can sort of look into the eyes of your pictures of like Merckx and Anquetil and you can you can almost feel them living and breathing it's amazing what you can do with the paint to bring out the soul of what a cyclist really is thank you Matt I mean it's it was I was a little bit sort of nervous and almost a bit apologetic about that at first because that's what I was trying to do and I'd read all this stuff about this a lot of people said that the great thing about the sport is you can you know you can go and suffer on the same roads that the pros suffer on and do the same climbs and and, and the only difference is really they can suffer longer and go a lot faster than you and i always loved that fact that you could go and feel a bit of what they felt and then i'd try and get it into the painting so i'd go out and do a, a hard ride for me you know and then come back and start on the paintings. And it was only when some of the people like yourself and, and like Brad Wiggins was interested and, and you know, Mark Cavendish and, and Steve Cummins and people like that all said, no, you really have got that in there that I felt, you know, confident to put it out there and, and that I wasn't sort of, you know, a, a sort of, a club cyclist who, who thought he knew something that you know he didn't so 
Um, it was something I was trying to put in from the outset. And it was actually Paul Smith, the designer who's from Nottingham, who, who gave me a lot of support in the start as well. He he put a little exhibition on in his shop in um, Beak Street in Soho. And that was a, a big help as well, just to get a bit of exposure and, and get people to see you know, what I was doing. I mean, I mean, I was going to, as part of my notes, I wanted to bring up the Paul Smith thing because he's a... Obviously, just an individual and a person that that, that I that I admire greatly. I've had the, I've been fortunate enough to speak to him in well a long time ago now at the Giro. But I know you did this thing. I mean, and you share, of course, both of you share that passion for cycling. You're both artists. Um, yeah. Him in a slightly different way, of course, uh, but you both have a massive appreciation of art as well. But how did that come to actually? You know that that um, the, the the kind of exhibition you had with him. How did that come? play out how did it actually happen how did he find it out was, about you it was quite bizarre really because I, I remember he 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 was around Nottingham at the same time as my parents so and and they knew him from going to the pubs and clubs and going to see you know bands play and and so um I was walking through Nottingham Centre and we with my wife one Christmas and we would we said oh should we go in there oh it looks a bit posh and maybe and we went in and he was in there just milling around the store and yeah. he came straight over with a big smile on his face and, and we got chatting and I said, oh, my dad knew you back in the day and, and, and that was how the connection started. And then before I knew it, it's, I was telling him about a project I was working on where I made a thing, had to go and meet the Duke of Wellington at the time, I think I was doing some Napoleonic paintings and he said, Oh, I'll send you a suit. And I sort of thought, Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. And then a, a week later, one of his own suits came, um, that was literally his own suit, a bespoke made, you know, tailored suit. And then from there, it sort of grew the relationship. So I sent him something. He invited me down to, to the studio and said, bring the kids. And so whenever I went to Nottingham, uh, to London for the, for, you know, business or whatever, I'd, I'd tend to drop in and see him and just have a cup of tea and, and a chat really. Uh, he, and he was just, just a nice guy, just really supportive and interested in what you were doing. And, and again, didn't seem to have a very big ego either, you know, he just loved what he was doing. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've been in his office, but it's fairly evident from what's in there. It's just his life and loves and passions all, all spilling out into this crazy office that he has. So it, it was a really nice, you know, sort of genuine connection that happened purely by chance, really. I mean, he is you know, a wonderful character, and the way that and anybody listening, I mean, I would imagine the vast majority of you listening know who Paul Smith is. And if you if you kind of scratch a little bit deeper, and he is somebody who has got a real eye for art, but basically is a collector. And we we talked earlier on, didn't we, about collecting memories and yeah, you no know, photography, painting. But he just collects you know, physical art, but also objects that people send him. And it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've been to his studio. And I've, I saw one of your sketches on the wall at his studio, actually. Oh, his, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, only a couple of weeks back, along with a lot of other lovely prints and original paintings that I could spend all day in there. But I didn't yeah. manage to go to his office, but I've seen images of it in video. But that must have been that must have been a, a really wonderful experience to, to have him host an exhibition of yours. Oh, it was fantastic. And unfortunately, he wasn't there at the time. He was off in Japan, so he, he, he couldn't be at the, the opening of it. But... It was just a nice thing to do, and he, he bought a few of the paintings. So I, you know, I got a bit of sort of cash from it as well, which was good. And you know, I, I don't know. He's he's done books since then. He did one called the Cycling Scrapbook, and they they did quite a lot of uh, my paintings in there as well were printed. So it's all helps to just you know validate what you're doing, I suppose, a little bit. I don't know. It's hard. Because you, especially in UK, I think that it's different abroad. They tend to be more welcoming, but I think here they tend to define, like to put you in a box, you know. So you're a comic artist, you're a you're a portraitist, you're a fine artist, and yeah. really, I, I cross over between all of them, and I love to do that. 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's I've, I've noticed that by, like I say, by the, the kind of work that you do. I mean, you're talking about, I remember us discussing the fact that you went down to some of the, Imperial, well, I think it was the Imperial War Museum, or one of the couple yeah. of the big war museums to look at the original uniforms to, yeah, yeah. to make sure that your picture paintings were historically correct. And I know that there's one particularly large painting that I know has been on your Instagram a few times, one that I love that was actually bought by none other than Lord of the Rings director, Peter Jackson. Yes, his wife bought it for his Christmas present. Yeah, yeah. So apparently he's got some, I've got some friends from Nottingham, a couple of sculptors from who used to work at Games Workshop who've been to his secret enclave in, in <laughs> New Zealand. And he's got yeah. like a one of these, you know, the League of, uh, the League of Gentlemen sort of panelled room wood dark wood apparently he's got one of these behind a secret bookcase door or something flipping eh? and he's got all these sort of memorabilia and and i think he's quite a collector himself as well of first world war and napoleonic stuff and I, i'm hoping that's that's where my paintings were and they didn't just use them to serve the turkey on them <laughs> Well, I know that uh, I, I, there's a rumor that Peter Jackson's a regular listen to Matt Stevens Unplugged, presented by Sigma Sport. So maybe you can get in touch. Uh, yeah. Just Peter, just get involved in the comments uh, and give Carl the heads up at what where your painting's at right now, because we'd you know just a, just a welfare check, really. Um, yeah. Now thanks. Um, that's okay, mate. Now, Carl, um, going to change things around a little bit. Not change things around. We're going to kind of focus on something that's close to your heart and actually yeah. close to you physically. You were born and bred in Nottingham. Yeah. Um, Paul Smith from Nottingham. I've yeah. been to Nottingham. Um, yeah. I've, I've seen Nottingham Forest play. But it's time <laughs> for the Nottingham Quiz. Nottingham Quiz. Nottingham Quiz. Now it's time for the Nottingham Quiz. <laughs> there I you love go. Those jingles. <laughs> that was a jingle and a half. I'm sure that our, produce, our producer Niall is actually slowly making them just that little bit longer. So eventually, in a year's time, it'll just be one long jingle. Uh, yeah. But there we go. Okay. Now I know you're, you're painting digitally at the moment, uh, which still mm. astounds me. Uh, but you've remained very, very focused. I don't feel like I'm secondary to this, which is which is lovely. No, um, you are primary. What, primary. Thank, Thank you very much indeed. Don't tell that to Ubisoft, of course. Please don't lose your contract. Um, but, but Carl, what I'm going to ask you today is focus on your Nottingham uh, knowledge, okay? Um, okay. I've, got, I've got four questions for you, um, right. all, all centred around Nottingham, some of them slightly vaguer than others. Um, they're multiple choice, so don't stress. I'm not going to need the, the answer directly from you, so don't stress about that. So they're all multiple choice, okay. and, the and the first question is coming up now. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. First up, the Nottingham Nottingham has a coat of arms, okay? So what animals looking straight at the viewer adorn the Nottingham coat of arms? Okay, is it two horses staring straight at you, um, two stags staring straight at you, or a horse and a stag staring straight at you? So the Nottingham coat of arms has two animals looking straight at the viewer. What are they? Is it A, B, or C? I think it's I think it's B, two stags. Correctamundo! Yes. Well done. So oh. uh, you are doing Nottingham proud, um, especially, <laughs> especially when the local council convene and listen to this podcast, as they normally do every month. <laughs> They'll be very, very happy indeed. So one out of one. Okay, next up. Nottingham has its fair share of rain. But how much in millimetres does it rain on average each year in Nottingham? <laughs> so, okay. Is it A, 609 millimetres? Is it B, 709 millimetres? Or is it C, 809 millimetres? I'm going to go with C. Oh, it's B seven. You I was going to well, say that. Yeah, you were. You were a well. We're not being funny with you, mate. You're a hundred millimeters out. Um, That's so ridiculous. there you go. I'm sorry about that. You still got time to redeem yourself. You still got fifty percent uh -huh. correct of the two answers I have asked you. Okay, question number three. Nottingham is the home to Notts County, the world's oldest football club. 
But what year was it formed? Okay, was it A, 1860, B, 1861, or C, 1862? Is it A? It's not. Was that a question or was that your answer? <laughs> it's, it's, it's no, it was not. a question. <laughs> uh, I'm so bad at football. I do know that Juventus wear their kit because Knox County gifted them the stripes of Knox County and Juventus wore a pink jersey before that, I think. Oh, that's true. And do you know what? Um, off the back of that, but football trivia fans, is that the people that set up Knox County was, was some businessmen and they actually had a relationship with the bis- with the football club in Italy and that's why it came to be. So they, they had the same, uh. the same or similar owners. Otherwise, can you imagine back then, you know, no... Uh, no real way of communicating um, than, other than having kind of a, a shared business interest. So, yeah, there were the yeah. Derby, I think they were Nottingham-based businessmen who actually uh, owned the, a majority stake in Juventus. There you go. Wow. But I'm going to give impressive. you a bonus point for that stat. <laughs> so you've actually got two out of three so far. I'll say to the final question um, here, Carl, okay. on, on the Nottingham quiz is this. Who, according to legend... Married together, Robin Hood and Maid Marian. Okay. Was it A? And this is obviously according to legend because there's no real proof uh, that Robin Hood uh, did exist. But I think he did because I'm a bit yes. of a ro- romantic. I think, yeah, he, yeah. I think he was there with his little green hat, his green tights, <laughs> being nice to people, um, yeah. apart from the ones he murdered. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, okay. Who, according to legend, married Robin Hood and Maid Marian? Was it A, Friar Tuck? Was it B? Richard the Lionheart, or was it C, King John, who reigned from 1199 to 1216? I think it was King John. Oh, it was Richard the Lionheart. Oh, I was going to say oh, no. that as well. Uh, yes. Sorry, like, this is crap, isn't it? It's no, no worries, mate. I actually didn't if even know that. If it was about goblins and wizards, I'd have done a lot better. Well, it... Let's have another quiz because um, I think we might. I think we've got so much to talk about. We we might actually have a second pod uh, in a few months' time, and we can do a gob. I'll do a goblins quiz for you, mate. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> but there you go. You still got uh, because of your boat the correct first question and your bonus. You still got fifty percent in the Nottingham oh, quiz. Well done, mate. Thank you. <laughs> And I tell you what, it's lovely to hear our socially distanced live studio audience giving you a round of applause <laughs> as well, mate. Um, yeah. Well, well, Carl, talk it back to sort of the focus on art, which you're, which you're doing right now. Which artists, I mean, actually, first and foremost, when did you become aware? I know you said you were drawing, you're, you're a geek, a little bit of a geeky kid, gangly, riding your bike, but with the ability to draw. At what point did you think, yeah, I... I I think I want to be an artist. Um, I think I sort of, um, I was, it was the only thing I was any good at at school. So I knew then that it was something I loved. And then I went to art college and that sort of went a bit wrong and I sort of parted a bit too much and, and I got a bit disillusioned with it all because they were mm. more interested in what I had to say and the trauma I'd been through. And I hadn't really been through any. Apart from right. not having a grifter. Um, <laughs> Did you mention that to them? <laughs> no, I should have maybe done a series of paintings about the, the grifter series. <laughs> I can see a really nice like triptych with a big grifter <laughs> yeah, with yeah. you looking forlornly looking up in it and your dad like painting your little one on the other triptych on the right hand side. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to have to do that now, aren't I? As well, yeah. something along the lines of of Bacon's study for the crucifixion. That's what I'm kind <laughs> yeah. of thinking of, mate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got a bit disillusioned with that, but it was really sort of a, a passion from an early age and something I was good at. And then, sort of, the support of family and friends uh, later. You know, when I got into my twenties, and I was you know, struggling to find what I wanted to do. Everyone just kept saying, well, you've got to do something with your art. You've got, you know, you're so good at it. And it was really, again, a, a chance. It was by chance that it happened because I, I, originally I wanted to be a, um, a, a comic artist for 2000 AD. 
Okay. Which, as you know, is a UK based Judge Dredd and oh, all that I was, sort of stuff. I used to love that, 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 that magazine. I used to love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I, I grew up loving it. And, you know, it was one of the few that was easily accessible. You didn't have to go to a particular comic shop. You could get it at the newsagent. And, and right. so it was always there. Um, and so I tried for two or three years to get in with those guys and couldn't get anywhere. And in the end, there's a quite a big company here in Nottingham called Games Workshop who mm. launched a comic and again someone I knew knew someone who worked there and they said oh give me your work and I'll, I'll, I'll show it to the editors and that was my first break really prior literally two days before I got the call to say you know we'd like you to get on board I was looking at jobs in the uh, local pork farms, pork pie factory, I think. Oh, God, right. You know, oh, it reached an Blimey. all-time low. Yeah, I'd done a day as a bin man uh, where they just laughed at me, these these other bin men. They, they sort of put me on the bins and, and made me run around and fetch things and, and then God. took the piss out of me in the van as I, as I you know, got back in. I sacked that off after a day. And wow. I think the only other job I had was like a pool attendant for two weeks. But I was okay. too scared to blow me whistle at people. <laughs> so, so I just sat there all day. Was it, was, it after, was it after several drownings they decided to kind of uh, give you a P45? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Lots of turds floating in the pool. <laughs> And you just sat there sort of uh, reading read <laughs> yeah. 2000 AD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. So, yeah, it was it was that, you know, sort of reaching that point where you think, if I don't do something with it now, then, you know, what's going to happen? I, I don't know what the other options are, you know. And, and what did you – actually – what was your first professional gig then with Games Workshop? Because Games Workshop is a company that, like, again, a few of you listening won't have heard of. I certainly, you know, wouldn't say I grew up on it, but I was really aware of Games Workshop and there was lots of kind of books, comics published. Yeah. Um, but what what was your first um, artistic gig then with them that you actually got paid for? Can you remember what, what you had to draw? Yeah, it was a, I think it was like a, it was like a, a five-page uh, dwarf comic strip written by Pat Mills. It was like oh, one of from, the... Jeez, yeah. from 2000 AD. Yeah, he was like one of the biggest British writers out there and apparently kicked up a bit of a fuss saying, why have you got this nobody drawing my strip, you know? All right. Uh, and uh, that was the first one, I think. I, yeah, five-page strip about a dwarf. I can't even remember what happened. It took me about three months to do as well. I hardly made any money for two Flipping years. Flipping I mean, I'm not. I, I mean, a, the worst wow. comic artist ever, honestly. Well, not I the worst ever, but slow. In terms of lead times, you needed blimey, because that's. I mean, yeah, because I've. Yeah, I, I I bought a bit of comic art many 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 years ago, and I kind of um, as much as I could, even before the internet was into, I used to go to comic conventions and get autographs from, and kind of understand the process a little bit. Although I had no artistic talent, but three months for five pages is that's quite a long time, isn't it? Yeah, it was hopeless, <laughs> Matt. I really <laughs> Sorry, was. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but obviously, you got quicker, and you got and you improved as as people do, um, and then how did that kind of lead to doing the stuff you're kind of doing now? And obviously, I, I guess it's, I guess, has it just slowly grown and you've got more clients over time as your reputation has grown? Yeah. And I also, I did seven years in, in games workshop studio. So they hired me off the back of that. So I was like an in-house artist. So right. as opposed to being just doing comics, I was doing painted stuff and, and sort of, you know, box covers. And so you, you, you became a lot, you learned a lot because you were around, other really good artists and then and, and it really sort of uh, helped you to sort of um, speed up and, and evolve as uh, stylistically as well so and then really off the back of that I went freelance as a big gamble really because I just got sick of drawing skulls and spikes and you yeah. know everybody shooting all the time I just sort of I thought I need something new here so I went freelance about 15, 16 years ago, mm. and it's just sort of 
exploded since then. The social media's been incredible. I've got massive following on Instagram and Facebook and, and just keep pinching myself, really, because I, I didn't ever think I was that good, really, you know. Well, I, I'm good and I like to work hard at it, but I, I don't know if I'm better than people who don't have this these opportunities, you know. It, it, it is. I mean, uh, yeah, your your social media following is is massive, and then and when you look into that, and then you look at where you go, and obviously, comic the kind of comic medium, and the, the fact that you kind of, as you said before, you kind of straddle, you, you kind of you, you straddle right the way across. You, you kind of do comic book kind of stuff. You do full full on kind of oil paintings. You do portraiture. You really have got a kind of an exceptionally to use an artistic phrase, a broad palette, haven't you? So yeah, but you, yeah. you are massively popular, especially when you look at some of the big, the big comic conventions and, and art conventions globally, you're a kind of regular feature, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done obviously prior to COVID, I've done an awful lot of traveling with it and been all over the world to Los Angeles, San Diego, Comic Con, and, you know, been over to Tokyo and, I was due to go to New York um, in 2020 to their big comic convention, but that that got sacked off, obviously. So, I mean, I'm just I'm just really lucky, actually. I just you know I can't sort of I, don't, I can't take any of it for granted, can you? Especially, I mean, as you know, I had that accident just in September, and that was yeah. a real sort of um, you know uh, real kick up the backside just to sort of think, come on, you know, don't take any of this for granted. You're just lucky, really, in in so many aspects of your life, you know. And I guess um, the way, I mean, how, I mean, you talk about the situation with COVID and and obviously it's, it's the reason we're doing this podcast now. It's not that I don't think I would have ever done a podcast with Sigma Sports, but because we couldn't do the normal digital content that we usually make, mm. we've done this. And that's helped me certainly creatively get through, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a real important weekly feature of what I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, but how has, how has the, the kind of COVID situation affected you artistically? Have you kind of, have you kind of flourished or have you struggled? Did you struggle initially or is it kind of this, or, or how have you kind of cope with it? I, to be honest, it's not actually changed my working day apart from the kids who are around the house, obviously yeah. with schools being closed. I've got more work than I had before COVID, it seemed like all the big computer games companies suddenly upped their production. And so I, I've got more work than I can sort of actually handle. So it's not impacted on me negatively at all. It's just maybe psychologically it's hard, isn't it? When you don't have those things to look forward to. Or yeah. I was saying to someone today, I don't know if I, I didn't do that much pre-COVID, but I had the option to do it. And that's the hard thing that suddenly a lot of those options are took away from you. So, but as a, artistically, it's been great. And one thing interesting that you said there, you see it with them, the Downing boys as well, Russ and Dean. You know, what you suddenly do is you adapt, don't you? And you, yeah. and you come up with new strategies. And it's not like a, a business strategy. It's that ability to adapt and, and go okay well I can't do that now well I'll, let's give this a go yeah. and you see you see it with their Donny chain gang ride on Zwift and and you know and if you if you have that flexibility and and maybe sort of able to take your skill set and and just adapt it to something else it's in a way it's quite an interesting period because when yeah. you eventually come out of it what you're going to have is more strings to your bow or, 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 you know, some more options to look at, you know, rather than just the formula you were sticking with pre-COVID, as it were. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I know there's been, there's been a lot of devastation in, you know, across, across the world in terms of people losing their lives, becoming ill and businesses folding. But I mean, if there's anything you can take from it, it's exactly what you've just described. I don't think I could put it any better myself. And mm. um, you kind of look inward and you look at it, you, you're kind of, you've got these four walls, but, you know, there's still things you can do and it does actually make you think a little bit differently and appreciate yeah, different yeah. things. And, and also your priorities <laughs> shift and change as well, don't they? It's quite a, it's been quite, it's been a difficult time, but in many ways 
it's been enlightening um yeah yeah uh, as, as well so it's been yeah it's been a strange old time in in you know to to kind of sum it up but um yeah i just wanted before we kind of wrap things up we've got a couple more things coming up but um we, we, we are going to do guess that snack so get yourself prepared oh, for that yeah but, i was but, looking forward to that Yep, it's it's a it's a different uh, themed guess that snack. It's a sweet and savoury guess that snack. So just bear that oh, in mind. But excellent. before we do, but before we do that, um, I, I want to ask you about you because uh, I'm become really really interested in art. I've always been interested in comic art. Now it's extended to to uh, art, you know, more broadly. Um, and I've started to buy a few a few prints and paintings. But who were the artists growing up that you? Um, really, really loved the work of who? In, who was inspirational, and who can you maybe see in in the style that you that you have at the moment? Would you say? Uh, well, there was a few, there was a there was a French artist, uh, Mo, Mobius, oh, Jean yeah. Giraud, Mobius. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was sort of revolutionary at, at the time, and he influenced me without me realizing. He did one called the Incal, and he did loads of stuff. And he also did a um, a Western series called Blueberry, I think, under a different name. And he influenced me without me realizing it. It must have just been all around me, and yeah. I was absorbing it. And then there was guys like Simon Bisley who were working on 2000 AD on Slain and ABC Warriors. Yeah. They were pretty big influence at the beginning, and. Another huge influence was Norman Rockwell, who was an American illustrator from the sort of 20s through to, I think he died in the 70s or 80s, who was just phenomenal. Um, but then you, what you start, it's a bit like music, isn't it? You start digging around, you like an artist, so then you go and find somebody who's related to it. So suddenly you, a whole world opens up to you. Yeah, yeah. With the cycling portraits, it's definitely people like Lucian Freud and... Jenny Savile, who's a, a British artist who I always loved her work as well. Uh, but really, the, you know, so many huge influences out there. You know, I've just got That's, looking here. I've got a yeah. shelf full of books of from The Watchman and Minola, Minola's Hellboy, right through to John Singer Sargent and Line Decker, American artists. So it's just there's so many of them out there. That, and they were all so good, it's sort of depressing, really. I was <laughs> always finding obscure <clears throat> Russian artists that were just amazing and made me look rubbish. <laughs> it is, you know, I mean, I, and I don't want to sound, I sometimes fear that I, when I talk about art, that I, I don't want to come across as almost like pretentious because it can be quite, let's be honest, it can, the art world can be quite a pretentious one, Carson. You know, when you, when you yeah. read, when you read, what critics sometimes write about art sometimes it's impenetrable but ultimately yeah. for me you look at a piece of art and it stirs something inside you feel an emotion yeah. and that's why yeah. I, I got into comics i think and you know which is people say that comic art is kind of very kind of simplified and quite often it's kind of poo-poo but i thought i you know when you look at people like jack kirby george perez Bill yeah. Sienkiewicz, some of those artists, they, they yeah, are, yeah. Fi- in my opinion, fine artists. And also down to yeah, people yeah. like Ch- Charles Schultz, for God's sake, you know, the Peanuts yeah, guy. Yeah. You know, art is different, but um, but the way it's talked about sometimes can be quite problematic. But, you know, looking at the, your influences, they're all guys that people, that artists, sorry, that I know very well. Uh, like Mobius is mm. obviously drew and painted for heavy metal a lot, didn't he? The, the heavy metal magazine. Yeah, that's that, right. that's where yeah, and yeah. did a lot of covers. And obviously so, I think Simon Bisley, was somebody that I met a few times in a comic shop in St. Albans near where I used to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and he, one of his favourite bits of work was Batman v. Judge Dredd, yeah. uh, which was an astonishing piece of, piece of work that I, I still own the, I still like, got the comic book, the big one. But all, yeah. and and also, you are, your style, especially your painterly work, is is a fusion of Norman Rockwell and, and John Singer Sargent, without a shadow of a doubt, even the way your yeah. little brushstrokes, it's it's really lovely to see. And I hope I'm not, we're not alienating anybody who's listening to this. It's just that, you know, art's all around us, but once you kind of dip your toe in and kind of have a little look at what's out there and whatever piques your interest, it is a magnificent world, isn't it? And it, it really does open your eyes. I think so. Yeah, I agree totally. And again, the parallels with cycling that, they're, they are there. They're not just something that, you know, you and I have invented because we're into art. There's a, the, the, you know, the, the, 
that artistry that you talk about and that those little subtleties, the things that you notice as you get into cycling as well, like the way a certain, like I always loved watching Wigo on the bike because of his yeah. pedal stroke. And it's it's the same as the brush strokes, those little nuances and little things that unless you, you're really into it and you've really sort of looked at this, you don't notice it. But once you notice it, it's almost like, you can't take your eyes off it. You know what I mean? And yeah. for me, that's what I loved about the, the the parallels between the two. I thought were, you know, definitely really there. So yeah, I agree, Matt. Totally. I mean that the way you've kind of very very beautifully actually wrapped up and brought it back together with cycling and art, which is what this whole podcast was going to be themed around. It has been a lovely way to kind of close it. I do wish we had more time. I think we'll definitely have another podcast in the future, mate, because it's been an absolute pleasure and we've only just kind of touched the surface but I think it's given yeah. people a bit more of an impression on on kind of what what you're all about where can people find you uh, Carl on Instagram uh just Carl Kapinski all K's yeah I'm, I'm all, all over case. it like a bad rash <laughs> you you are on it a lot and but what I do like that uh, what I do like is your kind of GoPro stuff we actually see you kind of drawing and painting stuff I, I do love I do love watching all of that yeah yeah should do more of that yeah no it's been lovely Matt thank you so much well we are going to wrap things up it's been an absolute pleasure we're going to wrap things up though uh, Carl I've I've kind of pre-rawned you slightly we've got a very special (laughs) special edition of Guess That Snack Guess That Snack Guess That Snack oh yeah Guess That Snack (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the wonderful dulcet tones of Cecile Utrup Ludwig, who I do need to uh, thank again for prov- providing us with that that lo- lovely uh, jingle. So, Carl, it's guess that snack. You know the format. I've got four yeah. snacks here. I'm going to. Um, I'm basically going to eat one. I'm going to just remove the pop shield here from the microphone. Niall will be tearing okay. his hair out now, just so I can get a really textured bite sound. Now, I've got four snacks here. I'm going to list them, then I'm going to eat them. Okay. Okay. Um, we've got. What's it? I'm making notes. I'm making notes. Okay, make some notes, mate. We've got what's it? An absolute yeah. favourite. If anybody is thinking what's a what's it? It's basically a British version of a Cheeto. Pretty much, essentially the same thing. Like a cheesy, <laughs> a cheesy snack. Uh, very, very orange indeed. Um, and then we've got square crisps. A classic from our school days, mate. Yeah. As are what's it's really. Yeah. Shame I haven't got Monster Munch, but we've got Watsits and Squares. <laughs> so that's the savoury side, and then we've okay. got the sweet side. And I've got here, never done one of these at all on a, on a podcast. It's a fudge, a finger of fudge. Ooh. Okay. And <laughs> a cheeky little picnic as well. Ooh. So it's a fudge bar and a picnic, which is basically a chocolate bar with kind of nuts and raisins and bits of biscuit in it. Yeah, I remember the advert for the fudge bar. I don't think it was very appropriate looking back, was it? No, I think it, well, I think they've had uh, to drop that. A finger yeah, of fudge is just enough to give your kids a treat. I think let's <laughs> yeah. park it there. Let's just park that and uh, let's move into the snack. Okay, here we go. Right, first up is this: is this picnic fudge or a what's it? Do you want to do that again? No, that's a square crisp. Straight into the back <laughs> of the net. Brilliant stuff, mate. Brilliant stuff. Now, you might have to listen very closely to this one. Um, here we go. I could hear you actually on on the uh, on the on the pad then doing a bit of a stroke. <laughs> yeah, just cross square crisps up. <laughs> Such right. a nerd. Here we go. What is this? I think that's a fudge. That was a fudge. <laughs> well done, mate. I think that might have been a little bit easy because hardly any sound. <laughs> no. They're so silky smooth. <laughs> not the hardest uh, guess that snack we've ever done, but no. still a lot of fun and quite tasty because I've not had my lunch. Um, next up is this. We, I think this might be. It's not going to be too hard. That's a what's it? That's a what's it? Three out of three, and finally. To end the quartet. The picnic. That's a picnic. Four out of four for Carl Kopinski. What a sensational <laughs> ride through Get That Snack. 
<laughs> Carl, I'm just Thank still you. chewing this picnic, mate. Oh, <laughs> right. Carl, thanks very much, mate. It's been honestly a real pleasure, and the time has gone just like that. Um, even with the technical issues at the start, um, we pulled things around. Okay, yeah. uh, the the quiz wasn't the best, but you got fifty percent because the bonus, hundred percent in guest snack, snack, and an all round top chat, mate. <laughs> it's been brilliant. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Matt. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, folks. It's really refreshing to hear someone being so passionate about their work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Carl's future of cycling sketch. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth, as ever, for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or to Paul Smith, if you happen to bump into him in Nottingham. And finally, a huge thanks to Carl for taking some time out to talk to me today. Thanks all. Goodbye and stay safe. Thank you.